1919. Uh, when my mom was 77 years old, uh, she received the Lord Jesus as her Savior and Lord. And she put away um, the, her ancestry worship, uh, her goddess of mercy, and requested for baptism. Very soon, you know, believe and she wants to get baptized. On the day of her baptism, uh, 21st of October 1919, she put her faith in Jesus into action. She has been bedridden for many years. My mom felt that it was impolite and unbecoming for her to be lying in her bed waiting for her pastor and church member. So, she asked the Lord Jesus to help her to walk out to the living room to wait for her pastor, Dr. Yan Hoxin, and the church member. All her children were busy in the kitchen preparing for refreshments as she has requested and instructed us. And when we found her sitting in the living room, we asked her, Mom, who brought you out from your bedroom? She said, my Jesus. Okay, my name is Pat Chan, wife of Jimmy Chan, and mother of Daniel and Mark, and M.I.L. of Jackie, my elder brother, was invited to Gabriel Baptist Church for a function. And he asked me to accompany him. And I gladly agreed. And uh, that night, the speakers from Taiwan spoke about God's love, uh, sin, forgiveness, eternal life, Christ's death on the cross, and His resurrection. Um, when the altar call was made, I went forward and surrendered my life uh, and accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I felt a sense of relief, uh, joy, and peace because I was confident that I found the true and living God. From my childhood, I knew Christ as a good shepherd. But that night, I heard that Christ is my saviour, you know, and that he died on the cross and he rose on the third day. So he's a living saviour. So uh, that was really uh, very important to me. You know, that my God, my Savior, my Lord is alive. And I can have that uh, relationship with Him. I have a ministry with the Filipino domestic uh, mate since 1986. Yeah. And uh, once a month, uh, second Sunday, uh, teach them. Uh, I have Bible study with them. And last week, I heard um, a very young uh, faith, a young in faith student of mine uh, has uh, repeatedly witnessed to her brother 
uh, in Philippines over the phone and Texas in SMS. And this troubled brother has finally surrendered his life uh, to the Lord Jesus and has testified that he finds peace. I feel the need to pray for the Holy Spirit to stir the hearts of every believer in GBC to have a burden for the unsafe. Uh, relatives, colleagues, friends, neighbours, then have the courage to share the love of God by telling what the Lord has done for them. Uh, and share their faith in Jesus Christ. First share what God has done for them, then share their faith in Jesus Christ and how Jesus is real in their life every moment and every day. You can't tell that your Jesus is real in your life. You have no uh, power My name is Pat Chan. I'm definitely, definitely not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say thank you to Pat for sharing her story and to our comms team for taking the time to record Every week as we gather, we would like to hear the story of some ordinary person who's being transformed by the extraordinary power of the gospel. And so as you have probably already suspected, we are beginning a new theme this year at GBC, and we're calling it Not Ashamed. And we will be looking at several lessons. We'll be walking through the book of Acts. So this afternoon, this is a bit of a soft launch not in Acts, but in the book of Psalms. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Psalm 46. In a moment, I'll read it. But in uh, taking on this topic, your ministry team has decided to take on what has been identified as the greatest fear among evangelical Christians. It's a fear that is somewhat ironic to me because we're calling ourselves evangelical Christians. But the greatest fear polled in America, because they poll everything, is the gospel. Not the content of the gospel. We love that. But the greatest fear among evangelical uh, Christians is that some point in my week, I may be confronted by an opportunity that would require me to share the gospel. And that makes us nervous, because we don't want to lose our friends or our job. We just don't want to lose. I, I remember about 10 years ago, I was speaking in Vancouver at what was the Canadian Evangelism Conference. It's a conference that starts west and goes all the way across Canada. 
and um, in the second night, well, I first spoke in, in Vancouver, and the second night I was speaking in, in Calgary, and I just happened to mention a couple of times uh, at this a Canadian evangelism conference, and immediately after that meeting, the uh, national director of Baptist in Canada came up to me and said, oh, hey, Ian, uh, we're not, we're not t- calling it evangelism conference anymore because if we did, the pastors won't come. So, so now we're calling it Empower 96 because, because that's the way we are. You know, everybody wants power, but we don't want to do the thing for which power comes. Everyone wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. It's kind of that way of thinking, right? So here we are in Psalm of 46. Um, not ashamed when trouble comes. I want to read, well, the entire thing. God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob, he is our fortress. Come and behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, open our hearts to your word. Because we sure don't need to learn anything from a Canadian. We long to hear a word from the Lord of heaven's armies. Speak to us and strengthen us by this encounter with the Most High God. Do it for your pleasure and for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old Egyptian parable I heard um, some years ago about two young men who discovered that there was across the great Arabian desert an empire that was mighty and full of riches. And so they had in their minds that they would ride across the desert and earn a great living in what we would know as Iran. They wanted to go to this great and glorious empire and trade goods and become wealthy beyond their imagination. And because they were educated men, they knew the desert was hot. And so they decided to set off in the evening and they rode into the night. Uh, Before long, they realized that they they had found themselves in a a deep geological um, valley. They they thought, well, uh, probably a dry river bed by the sound of the gravel under our horse's hooves. And, and so they rode into the night, not really knowing where they were going, but confident that at the end of that trip, they would be wealthy beyond their imagination. Um, but before long, 
they realize that these, these educated men, we're, we're just lost. But if we just follow this river, hopefully we'll, we'll find something. And to make matters worse, they were hearing voices. They heard a voice that said, get off your horse, stoop down, and fill your saddlebags with the stones in the dry riverbed. But they're educated men. Educated men don't hear voices. They don't acknowledge it. And so they just kept riding. And, and as they rode, one dared say to the other, so um, you're not hearing anything, are you? And the other said, actually, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a voice. It's telling me to get off my horse and fill our saddlebags with stones. You know, I mean, I don't need stones. I need water. And because they were educated men, they said, well, perhaps we just be reasonable. We just get off our horse and just put a handful of those stones in, in the saddlebags, and maybe the voice stopped, right? And, and so they did. They got off their horses, just took a handful of stones, put it in their saddlebags, and got up and rode on. And then the voice came again, and it said, come morning, you'll be both happy and sad. Well, they're optimists. They heard happy. And so they began to ride on the edges of their saddles with great anticipation of what they would discover in the day that would make them so happy. And the, the sun rose, the day came, and, and nothing. And so one said to the other, uh, we, we've kind of been idiots, you know. We, we heard stuff in the night, and now the day is here. We're, we're going to get to a modern city, and we're going to open up our saddlebags, and they'll see these stones, and, and we'll look foolish. So, so they reached in to throw those stones out, and they pulled out a a handful of precious jewels. And they were so excited. They were laughing and celebrating. We're rich, we're rich. And, and then they began to weep. Because if they'd just filled up their saddlebags, they could turn right around and go home. Now, here's the point, at least my point. <laughs> I feel sometimes, you know, in 21st century church, we are so busy trying to improve on God's commands. We're, we're so anxious to be the God that made us. We begin to do everything we think we can do to do the kinds of stuff that only God can do. So we have to make a choice, GBC, in 2017. We will either, as an educated upper middle class church, we will either do the reasonable thing or we'll do the obedient thing. Because if we decide we're only going to do the reasonable thing, we may find in the middle of this year, in the beginning or in the end, that we will encounter dryness. We will feel like we're in a valley of the shadow of death. And when that happens, if we only decide to do the reasonable thing, we'll have only enough joy to take us to the next prayer meeting. My, my prayer is, we will fill our saddlebags. Whatever the Lord God says, my prayer is, we will say, yes, we will do it. I am looking at this scripture and I see in 2017 three biblical principles that are going to help me. At least they helped me in my office this week. They helped me deal with trouble and perhaps they might help you as well. The first biblical principle is this. 
in the middle of 2017, there will be trouble. I have this uh, feeling that most of us have grown up in a fairly uh, comfortable uh, world. Uh, Many of us in this room have really not personally known war. Oh, we can YouTube it. We can see Aleppo. But we've not really experienced it ourselves. Most of us have not really known the deep personal grief of losing somebody we love. Many of us have grown up in in relative comfort. In fact, today, there's a whole bunch of pseudo-prophets in my world that are telling me, now, Ian, if you just have faith, you won't encounter any trouble. But this is what I love about this book. This is why this book is so authentic to me, because the Bible never tries to talk around trouble. The psalmist says, the mountains, they do fall. The waters do roar and foam. The mountains tremble. The waters surge. The nations rage all around us. In other words, Singapore, economies do falter. Not just global economies, but the economy of relationships. The the economy of personal security. There are people in this building who had to make a choice. Do I give to God something today that I really need? They're feeling the trouble of personal insecurity. Yes, even in this nation of extraordinary wealth. And, you know, some of us have grown up in a world where our friends and loved ones struggle with the economy of emotional security. I don't care how old or how young you are in this building. Sooner or later, trouble is going to find out where you live. Sooner or later, you will find trouble camping out in your compound or on your balcony if you're HDB flat like we are. You know, trouble will find you. In fact, for some of us, even in the midst of singing happy songs, trouble has found us. Trouble is not a metaphor. It's real. This past June, um, Sherry and I have dear friends in Georgia. And um, they're, they're like, I mean, we have nothing but sons. Which Sons are awesome if you are one. But I always just wanted a daughter. Because... <laughs> Because what I know is daughters love their daddy. (laughs) Boys, they they really love their mom, and and that's awesome, but, you know, I'm invisible. So I've always wanted daughters, and I'm so grateful that my boys got married, right? They they married daughters for me. And, And our dear friends, this past June, their son married this precious Emily Joy, and and Joy is who she was. I mean, she just was 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 full of this. This extraordinary joy. And then six months after her marriage, this emotional darkness overtook her. Trouble found out where she lived. And she took her own life. 
What do we do when trouble erupts and we feel overwhelmed by the tsunami of ripples that come? How do we sing the songs of joy when trouble is camping out in our hearts? There's a second biblical principle. In the middle of trouble, there is revelation. I find it fascinating that verse 6, the psalmist says, the nations, they're in an uproar. And that word nations, uh, I've shared it before, it's a Hebrew word which basically means unbelievers. Now, why are unbelievers in an uproar in a world of trouble? They're in an uproar because when trouble comes, all they have is their own solutions. So, So they rage about doing everything humanly possible. Why? Because they have no deliverer. They have no Savior. They have no God. They have no hope except their own efforts. And much of my life was invested in trying to make my own world right. In fact, I remember many years ago, my brother was finishing a second seminary degree at Princeton, and he was coming through Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, where Sherry and I were pastoring a a church. And our second son, who's now a pastor himself, he was only five, um, and Mr. Enthusiasm. And so my brother just wanted to stop in and and visit us with his his wife. And you know when two educated men get together, this is just free. Like, this is life coaching. We we need to do stuff that our wives don't understand. So we left our wives upstairs, and, and Hamish, my brother, and I... We unpacked this new video game that I just purchased. Yeah, state-of-the-art, 16-bit graphics, which is almost nothing, but then it was amazing. And we pulled it all out, and back in those days, you know, there's a lot of wires, not just one, not, not just the HDB or whatever. No, that's a flat. You know what I'm talking about, HDMI, that's what I mean. You know, they're, they're, we had lots of cords, and so we had them all laid out, and, and we, we connected all those cords to the TV, and, and then, you know, the magic was about to happen. I pushed a button, and, and nothing happened, which is embarrassing when you're trying to show something to your brother, right? He had never seen 16-bit graphic before. He'd seen Pong, right? You remember that if you're old. Um, so I wanted him to see how amazing the graphics would be. And so I was getting frustrated. And, and um, our son, Robbie, you know about boys, they always want to help when there's actually no help whatsoever. And, and he kept saying, can I help bouncing around, you know, tripping on court? Can I help? And I said, no, Robbie, you can't help. Your uncle and I were doing important work here. And, and my brother Hamish is a very patient man, which is another way of saying he doesn't have any children. So, so he said, now, Ian, uh, don't get him upset. You know, Robbie, your dad and I are just doing our work here, so give us a bit of space. But we could not get that thing working. And, and so eventually we did what men only do if we're really, really desperate. We got out the directions, and we laid them up all over the floor. Now, this is Canada, so the first thing I had to do was find the English. It was Spanish and Chinese and French and Latin and ancient Hebrew and, and finally, I find the English. So you understand, I'm getting more and more upset while, while I'm trying to find the proper directions. And in the middle of it, Robbie jumps right in the direction and says, I can help. And I just said, 
I blew up a little bit, sorry to say. I, I said, listen, your uncle and I have six university degrees between us. Do you think we need a five-year-old to show us how to use a video game? And, and he started crying. Um, so the last person who spoke up was using a throat lozenge and just left it right here. I'll put it back. <laughs> um, so... He's crying, and then it makes me feel bad. And I look up at him, and he's, he's holding the power cord. <laughs> we were about to call a repairman, and he was about to find out how dumb two educated men could be <laughs> because we didn't plug it in. He, here, here's the thing about trouble. In, in the middle of trouble, there is... Revelation. That's why verse 10, God says, be still and know that I am God. But, but sometimes he sends salvation and we reject it because we don't like the package it comes wrapped up in. I don't want a five-year-old boy to tell me how to run a video game. We don't want a baby wrapped up in a barn to be our savior. You know, we don't want a bloodied cross to be our salvation. If there's just something we can do, some way I can maintain my sense of pride, my manliness, if I can do that, then I would just gladly embrace. I'm like Naaman who said, isn't there any clean rivers in Babylon? Why do I have to dip myself in this dirty Palestinian river for cleansing? So, the psalmist reminds us that in the middle of trouble, verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning comes. You understand the background of this is Jerusalem is a city under siege, and the invading armies have simply not wanted their soldiers to die. They pushed soil up against every gate. The people were trapped inside. Starvation was imminent. And, And in the middle of that, The psalmist has this song of joy bubbling within him because there's a river in the city. There is a river. And when the storms of life rage, when trouble camps out in my yard, when we find ourselves in a dry desert, in the valley of the shadow of death, the nations rage, but God's people know right where he lives. The river of his spirit flows. He's our sanctuary. He is our stronghold. This is Emily's widowed husband, Thomas. He wrote, yeah, next slide. He wrote a note on his Facebook. Uh, One more. He wrote, as many of you already know, My 23-year-old wife of just six months lost her battle with mental illness and ended her own life. While nothing 
and no amount of time could have prepared me for such a tragic event. Yet, God has faithfully given me his supernatural strength and a peace that I could never have obtained on my own. Why? Because there's a river that flows through Thomas. It refreshes the place where the Almighty dwells and it irrigates a dry and thirsty soul. I don't know what kind of life you have, but this is a fallen world we live in and in a fallen world, stuff happens. There is one final principle. The third biblical principle is this. In the middle of Revelation, we discover purpose. I don't know how many of you have ever said this ever. Man, am I ever thirsty, and I'm so glad I am. Right? Thirst is something all of us have experienced, right? But none of us have ever said, oh, this is awesome, I'm thirsty. <laughs> right? Because thirst is one of those things that we feel that we sense, and there's sometimes, like last night after our watch night service, I needed a drink in the worst day way, and, and fortunately for gas stations that are open late, I was able to get a ginger beer. And Sherry's American, right? She's like, beer? What? <laughs> and, and it felt so good. You, you understand, our bodies are about 60% water. The God who loves me created thirst because he who made me knows me. I'm off doing my world before I think I better take some water with me. I'm off living my life. And if he had not gifted me with the trouble of thirst, I would never take the trouble to drink and I would just dry up and die. I'm not saying that God causes trouble, but he allows it to happen so I would notice the river and drink deep. Not so that I would try hard to manage my life. Not so that I would work a bit harder, be a bit busier, somehow try and work my own way out of trouble, but just so I would notice there is a river It it, it flows through me. It is the living God who exists to nurture and nourish my soul, who fills me up with himself so I can have confidence even on the dark days, even when difficulty comes. Let's hear it from a gospel expert, the Apostle Paul. This is what he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired for life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death And that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who can raise the dead. 
You see, when we live in a world of the dead and dying, we need raise the dead power. We don't need to be more convincing in our gospel presentation. We just need raise the dead power. Many years ago, I I had an elder, and this is going to wreck you a little bit because you're Asian. He was an elder, 26 years old. Didn't seem that young to me because I was 29. But, but I wanted all of our lay leaders to know that I was not that kind of pastor who just sat in my office. I, you know, so I would ask each of them, can I you know, just be at your workplace and hang out with you? Just do what you do just for a day, just you know, for male bonding time? And they, of course, like, oh, sure. Now, now Ron was a farmer. I don't know what you're thinking about farmers, but in, in Canada, farmers are doing all right. And one of the prime motivations for me to go work on Ron's farm is I heard he had a million-dollar tractor. I'm like, all about driving that thing, right? So I said, hey, so Ron, um, shall I go out with you, you know, like the night before? Because his farm's out of town. He owned four sections of land. Now, in Canada, one section is one square mile. He owned four sections of land, everything wheat. They had a farmhouse there, um, he had to have well water because it was outside, you know, of the city. And so he said, sure, yeah, pastor, come. Now, so we, it was like late June. And in that time of year in Canada, in Moose Jaw, the, the sky starts getting light right around 3.30, which is what time Ron woke me up. He said, come on, pastor, let's, let's go on out there. The day's getting ahead of us, and so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to drive that million-dollar tractor, and, and so I get dressed. I'm trying to be enthusiastic as, at least as much as I can at 3.30 in the morning and, and thinking about that million-dollar tractor, and he says, so, so first, uh, Pastor, you know, I've got this fallow field. We need to pick some stones because that's the way earth is. It just births stones, right, and, and he wants to plant wheat, winter wheat in that, and so he says, uh, come on, uh, you can help me pick some stones, which is not as awesome as it sounds. Really, picking stones is not awesome at all. In fact, he had this old pickup truck, which was standard, not automatic. And it was old. So he put it in first gear, and it started trundling down the dirt field, and I was to run after it, throwing stones <laughs> in, the, in the back. And I did that from 3.30 till 6. You know, I was only 29, so I was still okay, right? And, and, and then I, he said, okay, Pastor, that's good on you, man. That was great work. Let's, let, let's go um, out to the house. I need to dig out my pond because um, he needs water, and, and hopefully the big snows will pour into this pond, but this is like summer, and so it's just mud right now. So he gives me a $9 shovel. While I'm dreaming about this million-dollar Track. He gives me a nine dollar shovel. I said, Pastor, no, if you just go down there and dig out the mud, I'll haul it up on this pail. And so there I was in that. Yeah, I'm just trying to let you know what a great guy I am. <laughs> but honestly, I, I, I was not loving it, and I was getting more and more tired until he calls me out and gives me like an eight dollar axe and says, Now we got to cut firewood because winter time. No heat in here. Just got a wood stove. And so after an hour of cutting firewood, to be honest, I was just lifting that axe, letting it drop. Because, you know, pastors don't do a lot of working out. Is that obvious? Right? So I, I was just so exhausted. We had like a 20-second lunch, and then we go into his wheat barn, this pile of wheat, and he gives me that same $9 shovel. And I have to push all of the wheat toward the auger that he's just 
you know, pushing the button, and then he uses a rake every once in a while. He pulls off his shirt while I'm drenched in sweat, wheat dust everywhere. He's got covered in these rippling Canadian hockey muscles. I keep my shirt on for, for obvious reasons. <laughs> and, and, and then at like 5.30, um, I say, okay, uh, Brother Ron, I, I got to head back. The, the, the reason I needed to head back is because Sherry was making dinner, and I was like five seconds from the grave. <laughs> he, he has the audacity to look at me and act confused. He, he said, Pastor, you, you heading back so soon? I said, soon? You know, here's what I felt. You know what it is? Moral outrage. That's what I felt. I said, soon? I've been here since 3 in the morning. I've never worked so hard in my life. And then he had the temerity to respond by saying, um, we actually haven't been working, Pastor. I'm like, maybe you haven't been working with your million-dollar tractor. I've been working with this $9 shovel. I've never worked this hard in my life. I'm going to die right here. Next day in the newspaper, is going to say, your pastor died on your farm. Do you want that? <laughs> yeah, see, I was really raging. <laughs> and, and then he just genuinely looked confused, and I never forgot his response. He said, Pastor, um, have we just been working about the house and the barn and the yard? That's, that's not the work. That's, that's the chores. The work is out in the field. Do you know what joy looks like? It looks like a farmer bringing in his harvest. Now, now I'm not like other pastors. I know I'm new, but I'm not like other pastors you've had because I've known you for a while. I was a member here before I became a pastor. I'm just saying, GBC, here's what worries me. I worry that we are wearing ourselves out with chores. The work is in the field. The joy is in the field. I mean, chores are important. Somebody needs to do chores. But you know what? Preparing this worship set, that's a chore. Preparing this sermon's a chore. Somebody's got to do chores. But the joy is out there. In the fields. That's where the gospel is most needed. Did you hear Pastor Bobby last night? He said, he reminded us, the Lord never said that my name will be exalted in the church building. He, he never said, no, I can hardly wait till all God's people worship me. And here's what the psalmist said, my name will be exalted among the nations. My name will be exalted in all the earth. That's where joy comes from. Not because we know the content of the gospel. Because being a disciple, listen, being a disciple is not about knowing stuff. It's not even about doing stuff. It's about knowing somebody. It's about being called to someone. And Jesus says, come. So, here's what I'm going to ask you. When you leave this barn this afternoon, when your face turns toward his harvest field, what is your going to be? What is going to be your ambition? What is going to be your goal? How, how are you going to face 
this year and all the trouble that comes. I don't know about you, but I want to say in the middle of trouble, I will not be ashamed of the gospel. No matter what trouble looks like in my life, I will not let it shame me. Because trouble comes to everyone. But in the middle of that trouble, I will be reminded there is a river that flows through me to refresh and irrigate my soul. And the joy, the joy is where the nations will call upon his name. I want to be honest with you, friends. Nobody ever in my ministry, almost 35 years, no man ever has said to me, you know, Pastor, I wish I'd spent more time spell-checking the bulletin. No, no one has ever said to me, oh man, I wish I spent more time in council meetings. But I can't tell you the number of people who on their deathbed said to me, Pastor, oh my brother, he doesn't know the joy I know. He doesn't know my Savior. I wish I'd told him, but now I'm, I'm not able. Oh, Pastor, my auntie, I shouldn't be outliving her. I should have shared good news with her. I should have shared a gospel that transforms. Do you remember that old gospel chorus? There is a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors. Sets the captives free. There is a river of life flowing out of me. That's not knowing the gospel. That's sharing the gospel. That's being contagious with good news. I want to invite you to pray with me for just a moment. Spring up, oh well. Spring up within our soul. Spring up and make us whole. In the middle of trouble, God, spring up and give your church that contagious, life-giving power. Turn us today from this barn and turn us with purpose to your harvest field so that just like Pat Chan and many others, we can know the gospel that has transformed us and see it transforming others. For your glory, we request this so that your pleasure might be on your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us rise for the song of response.